Well, good morning. That hymn really sets us up, doesn't it, for this, because this is our final sermon in this series. Uh, This is sermon number seven, or if you were here in the midweeks, sermon number eight. There was one other uh, that only those who attend the midweek uh, got to share with us as well. And there wasn't a title for that one, but we looked at the, the temple and the fig tree. But we reach number, eight, uh, number seven, really. No greater hope. And that song really helps us, doesn't it, as it sets our hearts uh, ready for the text and ready for what we are going to hear uh, in the next few minutes. So let's turn to John, John chapter 20, John chapter 20, and we're going to be looking uh, at this as we go through, really this, almost this full chapter. For now, we're going to read just the first 10 verses, John chapter 20, let's read these first few verses together. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb, Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth with which uh, had been on Jesus' head. Uh, Not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Let's just pray, shall we? Lord, as we come again to your word, we... Know that these words on the page are the words that you spoke. Lord, we thank you that as we read them, we know that you are speaking to us and that they are here for a purpose. And this morning as we reach the final sermon in this series, we pray that as we ponder on your son and his resurrection, that we will see him in all of his glory and that we will see what his resurrection means for us, those of us who believe. So Lord, help us now, we pray, by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. We arrive at the tomb. Having walked with Christ as king into Jerusalem, having watched him in the temple and learned from the fig tree, Having sat with the disciples and Jesus at the Last Supper, and as he, Jesus, instituted that uh, supper, the Lord's table. Having wept with him as he battled in Gethsemane. 
having stood by as Jesus was betrayed by his friends by his friend Judas and arrested having watched him undergo torture to the highest degree for crimes he did not commit having seen him on the cross yet pouring out his mercy pouring out forgiveness on those who put him there we arrive at the tomb and i've got some good news it's good news the tomb is empty he's alive jesus has risen from the dead over the last 7 weeks we have seen eight different accounts and testimonies of the week which led up to this very point we have seen prophecy fulfilled multiple times in these few short days <clears throat> we have seen account after account from matthew mark luke and john who testified to these events and that they took place in fact matthew and john were two of the original disciples they were there they were not more than they, they were more than just simply testifiers they were eyewitnesses of all that took place now why is this important or why have i just said all of i have said well the bodily resurrection of jesus has been hotly debated for decades centuries millennia maybe there have been <clears throat> dozens and dozens of people who have researched and written articles and books to invalidate the resurrection of Jesus generations of skeptics have debated and we still live in a world of skeptics when it comes to the resurrection maybe we have them in the room here this morning However, in recent decades, we have moved from reasoning outside of ourselves to reasoning within ourselves. What do I mean by that? Well, we are living in a time where the idea that we have eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life no longer matters. These days, uh, our generation isn't seemingly interested in the outside reasoning and evidence that we have but unbelievably just asks the question why does this even matter to me as though the bible and its teaching is something similar to them in their mind as like life in outer space you know we have this debate also don't we this idea that maybe there's life out of space and 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 unfortunately and sadly the resurrection in people's minds has been set in in that sort of place that actually this really isn't relevant to me and i doesn't it doesn't make any difference to me in my life it has no bearing on them we live in a world which is unwilling to ask the question why why is this why is Jesus 
resurrection? Why is his life and his death important to me? Why would the death and resurrection of Jesus affect me and my life? How would it change things for me? Well, I believe what I want to believe. That's what the the saying goes. I believe what I want to believe. And no one is allowed to push or press on me what they believe. That is just where I'm at. And that's good with me. That's where we live. That's the world we live on. No time for looking at the evidence. And this should make us shudder. Because this sort of ignorance, and that's what it is, leads to damnation. Eternal suffering apart from God. That is where that sort of mindset and that life leads. So we need to listen and we need to think. And you know what the interesting thing is, which has just come to my mind, is that You are now sitting in this room for a reason. This morning. It is no surprise to God that you are here. He intended you to be here. And to look at the evidence of the resurrection. So we need to listen and we need to think. And we're going to do that this morning. Let's turn to Acts. Before we dive into John, I want to turn to Acts. I want to take a little bit of a long road to get there this morning. But... Uh, This is important. Acts 17. Acts 17, 30 and 31. This is what it says. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul is preaching in the Areopagus here, Mars Hill, to philosophers. And he is telling them that there has been a day which has been fixed to those who are ignorant in this world. There has been a day which has been fixed, a day where he will judge. The living and the dead. And God has said we can be assured of this because he has raised his son from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus means we can be sure that there is a day coming where Jesus will judge. So we read this now and we're listening. This has made us listen, right? But who should we listen to? Turn to Acts 10. Acts chapter 10. Forty and forty-one. 
says this, but God raised him, Jesus, on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead and did not permit him to appear to all people, but a few. To the chosen ones of God. God had chosen those who would be witnesses. Those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. It was God's plan all along that after the resurrection, Jesus would appear to just a small number. Those chosen by God to be witnesses to the world. This small number of Men and women who would go forth and having seen Christ raised from the dead and having been, been with him and seen him in the flesh, they now were given the responsibility to share that news to the world. And so this morning we, are at, we come to a reliable, and this is what it is, a reliable first-hand account of Jesus' resurrection. Found in the Gospel of John. John tells us, if we go back to John 20, John tells us in, in chapter 19 and 35, and in, in chapter 21 and 24, that what he has seen is true. He has seen this with his very eyes. But most stunningly, in chapter 19 and verse 35, he tells us that. All that he has written is enough for us to believe. Everything I have written is enough for us, 2,000 years later, to believe. To believe in Jesus. In other words, we do not need to look any further than the pages to believe in the resurrection. You see, if I came to you and I... I said this. I saw it. I saw it. With my, my very eyes. I saw it. And in those moments, as I testify to you, you look in my eyes and I look in your eyes. And there's something that goes on in those moments, isn't there? You look at me and, and my, demeanor, my demeanor and my eyes and my reaction and my actions at that point. And you look at me and I look at you. And that's, in that moment, you know whether I am telling the truth or not. Don't ask me how we make our mind up. But somehow in our being, we are able to work out those who are telling the truth and those who are lying. And John here through the pages of the words of the gospel, is telling us this. I saw it. I saw it. So in the time that remains, although we won't cover everything in this chapter this morning, I want to focus in on John's eyewitness account for us to see the truth. So let's read the first three verses of chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. 
So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Mary did not believe in the resurrection. That's what the words tell us. Mary did not believe in the resurrection. Having said what we've already said, it should not surprise us that even Mary is a skeptic. She drew the conclusion that the stone being rolled away, that the body was stolen. That's what she saw. Put yourself in her position. The stone's rolled away. The body must be stolen. Someone who doubts even though she has been told from a reliable source. For Mary, there was no greater source of truth than Jesus. He had told her that he would rise again. Yet here she is telling disciples, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. But having told the disciples, Peter and the other disciple, which we know of, the one whom Jesus loved would be John, the writer that we, we, we read from today. They run to the tomb. John outrunning Peter. And on arrival, John looks in and it says he stoops in. And he looks and he sees the linen cloth lying there. <clears throat> but he did not go in. Isn't this interesting? <clears throat> he stooped in low enough. To see in. But he did not go in. And Peter, when he arrived, well, he pushes past. That's what it seems. He almost pushes past and goes in. And here Peter sees more detail of what is in the tomb. Verse 6 and 7. Then Simon Peter, following him, went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. Not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Why does John give us this detail? That's my question. None of the other Gospels give us as much detail as this. Why does John give us this detail? What does this tell us this morning? Well, I think probably two things, or at least we're going to look at two things this morning. And the first thing is there, this. And this is uh, one of the most important things we're going to learn this morning. And this is it. The empty tomb acts as a loud witness to the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus. You go, yeah, I know that. But that's what it's saying. That is what John is telling us. This was not... A spiritual resurrection only. It was a physical one. His body was gone. He was not in the grave. Just the linen strips that were used to bind his body were left. That linen that Joseph of Arimathea had put around the lifeless body of Jesus. And if you had... Uh, read the chapter, just the previous verses of chapter 20, you'll see that there were 75 pounds in weight worth of mixture of spices which Nicodemus brought. 
You know that man who met Jesus in the middle of the night? He brought them. So that's the first thing. The empty tomb acts as a loud witness to the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. Secondly, and this is a little bit more complicated. This is what it's showing us here. The linen strips, or the linen, suggests that he rose in the same body, but somehow a different body. He rose in the same body, but somehow in a different body. Let me try and make sense of this statement. We need to ask ourselves this. Why does John give us the detail, particularly the face cloth? You know, he says that, doesn't he? He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself, separate from the linen that would have been wrapped around Jesus' body. I think the best explanation is this, that there is a contrast here with Lazarus in chapter 11. Lazarus in the grave four days, and they said that he would stink. Yet Jesus says to them, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? That's what he said to them. The stone is rolled away and Jesus calls out, Lazarus. And he comes out. But this is the interesting point. How explicitly does he come out of that tomb? Bound. Bound in linen. He was exiting that tomb just the way he went in. He's, as it says here, the actual words are this, bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Twice in John's gospel that he uses this term Uh, And this idea of this cloth, which would have covered the face or the faces of both Lazarus and Jesus. Well, you see, right? Lazarus couldn't get himself out. He had to be unbound by someone. And even then, he still had a mortal body. Poor Lazarus like a small number, although he had been risen from the dead, which is amazing, he had to die a second time. He was only mortal. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. He had died once for sins, for the sins of the world, for our sins, now immortal in the same but different body. Do you see it now? Why John would maybe say these words. Well then what does this mean for us? Well it has huge implications this. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. 
And in verse 2 to 5, we read these words. We'll maybe just go from verse 1, actually, to give us a little bit of context. For we know that if the tent or the body that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us... For this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. For those of us who believe in Him, who are in Christ, who treasure Christ, who hold on to Christ, because He was resurrected from the grave in a new body, we too, in the last day, will also receive our new bodies. And that's wonderful. When the trumpet sounds, we will be radically transformed. And we will praise him with our new bodies, which will be just like his. Therefore, the point that John is making in his gospel here is that Jesus didn't have a body like Lazarus. That although these two accounts sit in two separate places in this same gospel, these resurrections are very different. Look at verse 19 of chapter 20 back in John. It says this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. The body just travels through doors. Just as it traveled through the linen cloths, it traveled through locked doors. And so naturally, but wrongly, we draw the assumption that, well, Jesus must have been a ghost. He must have been a spirit just to travel through doors. But that wasn't the case. Because in verse 27 of chapter 20 of John, it says this. Then he said, that's Jesus, to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. To prove this, he tells Thomas to put his Finger in the nail-pierced hands. And in his side which was uh, opened on the cross. And then in Luke 24. I just want to add this in. Because I just think this is just absolutely amazing. Luke 24. Don't need to turn there. Luke 24. 40 to 43. Says this. And when he had said this. He showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy. And were marveling. He said to them. Have you anything to eat? 
And this moment, if they thought he was a spirit or a ghost, having seen his hands and his uh, pierced side, he then asks them if they have anything to eat and they give him fish. And he eats the fish. Wonderful, isn't it? Luke's testimony. He adds this almost comedic moment in Scripture as the resurrected Jesus takes fish and eats it as a proof that he was more than a spirit but actual flesh and bone. And this gives us an indication of what our new bodies will be like. So what do we draw from this for us? Well, I know we're moving around and jumping around a little bit here, but Philippians 3 and 21 says this, and listen to these words. These words actually were just in the reading that I read this morning, uh, completely separate from my preparation, and this is what it said. The Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We will have transformed bodies because of his resurrected body. Therefore, this is serious for us all. Whether we will have those transformed bodies like Christ's or whether we will be those who are banished from the presence into eternal punishment, the resurrection and its consequences matter for all of us this morning. How do we tie up all that we have looked at over these last seven sermons in this No Greater series? Well, I think on this Resurrection Sunday, my question to you is this. Do you see him? Do you see him? Christ. His death. His resurrection. The consequences for those who believe and for those who do not. And as we finish, look at verse 8 of chapter 20. Verse 8 of chapter 20. John 20, verse 8. Then the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. John finally enters the tomb. He saw, and he believed. What did he see? He didn't see Jesus. Because he wasn't there. He was gone. He saw the linen. The evidence. And that was enough for him. He didn't wait until he saw Jesus later on that day. Or that week. He didn't know he was going to see him. All he saw was the linen strips. Laying there. And that face cloth lying there. Separate from the linen. And he said, I believe That was enough for him. For Mary, she had a greater benefit than John. 
as she saw Christ in verse 16. She says this. Well, verse 16 says this. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. And clinging to him, he tells her to stop. We haven't got time to, to look at this in detail. But we know that he has more work to do. He wasn't there to establish his kingdom yet. And so he asks her to go and tell the brothers, I am ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and your God. And in these two moments, Mary had seen Jesus in the flesh and believed. John didn't. Which makes our situation, 2019, in this moment, just like John's. We see and we hear the evidence. And my question again to you is this. Do you see him? Is what we have seen this morning enough for you? It has to be. Stop searching and running. Here we have all that we need to believe. Let me finish with a story I heard this week. An illustration, really. One day, there's a knock at your door. And you go to the door. And you open the door. And standing on the other side of that door is one of your best friends with a very sad look on their face. And they ask, I say, can I come in? You say, yeah, come on in. And you go in and you sit down and, and seeing that they're upset, you ask them, is everything okay? And your friend says this to you, it's your brother. He's gone. He's dead. He says, we were just walking down the road in a car, went out of control, and, and he's gone. And silence fills the room as you stare into one another's eyes. And you respond with this. I see. I see. You see, in those moments, the witness, your friend, becomes a window. Because as you stare into his eyes and you listen to his account and you listen to his testimony of those moments. All that he has said, all that he has depicted in word becomes real for you. You can picture it. The witness became a window. And now you see Because he saw.
So it is here. So, how are you going to respond? Do you see? If you do, then you must repent. You must trust while there is still time. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that the words on the pages of the Bible are not just simply words or stories, fables and fairy tales, but they are true accounts of first eyewitnesses, those who witnessed all that you went through in sending your Son and all that Christ went through. And this morning, may we see with new eyes, new minds and new hearts, all that you have done for us and put our trust in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.